0: Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Hewan Lee. Hi Hewan, how are you? Hello. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so um you are I I did say Doctor Hewan Lee, so I know I I know that you are a a dentist? Is that correct? Right. right, I'm a pediatric dentist. Pediatric dentist, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just meeting Dr. H- um, Helen today um, through some a mutual friend of ours. So um, I'm excited to listen and hear more about what it is that she does. Um, so Helen, can you tell me more about what it is that you do? Sure. So I have to say
1: I'm a little bit different dentist. Um, so after I graduate. Uh, dental school I joined a service Um, so I was in the uniform service for four years and working on the policy level so it was managing dental program in community health center across the nation Um, and then I started my pediatric residency and some research Um, my research topic is about pregnant women how to make their teeth healthy and their baby's teeth healthy so my daily routine, uh, like my weekly routine, is um, two days I teach uh, residents in hospital as a faculty, and for one day I see my own patients, and two days I'm doing research. So I'm a little bit of everything.
0: Oh wow! Okay, I have so many questions. So, All right. <laughs> go ahead. Um, so you said that after um, you joined the service, do you mean mm-hmm. like the the military service? Uh, we call a uniform service. I, uh-huh. I was not deployed to like
1: other country like army or air force, uh-huh. but it's like six thousand of doctors and nurses It's called the U.S. public health officers. Um, so we are deployed to like prison or Indian um, health service um, or community health center where usually doctors and nurses are very like um, short. Um, so we are serving most
0: underserved population within U.S. Oh, wow. I had no mm-hmm. idea that was even a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so this is like a government program, though?
1: Right, right. It's a government program. Um, we are wearing Navy um, uniform. So we are in the service. And we are deployed, if there is any disaster within U.S., then we are going in and helping people. But in our daily routine, for myself, I was posted in the uh, Washington, D.C. Department of Health and Human Services. Mm-hmm. My job is more like a policy analysis. Um, but other dentists, they are usually deployed for clinical services um, in prison or Indian health services.
0: Oh, wow. So we- can I ask you why you chose to do that? I didn't choose; it happened. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
1: So I, well, a little bit back in history, um, I always studied art, middle school, high school, and then something happened. There was a huge financial crisis in Korea a long time ago, um, and then my both my mom and dad um, lost their job or businesses. So I I knew that I cannot continue studying art or become an artist. Mm-hmm. And then that's the first kind of life crisis that I ask God a question about, like, what kind of person I should be or what kind of career I should pursue. Because Besides arts, I never thought of other careers. Mm. And then, um, you know, inside voice, um, God was telling me to become a doctor and which I never thought about before. And but I, I obeyed and I followed Um, and I, it was a long story, 14 years, Mm. (laughs) and then um, I I went to the dental school, Um, but I have to say I didn't really enjoy studying dentistry or medicine, because I was always like art person, Mm. but um, second year of my dental school, when I start to see patients, I really loved it, I loved the interaction, uh, like educating them how to take care of the team, Mm. Um, helping them to go through all the insurances to give them the best deal within the dental school and all those. And I loved it. And my Mm. patients loved me too. So I didn't regret and I was happy that, you know, I never tried before. So I didn't even know that I liked it, but I was in the situation that I kind of forced into it. And then I found that I really liked it more than arts and other things. Oh, wow. And then... um, when I graduated dental school, there was another huge financial crisis in the U.S. Mm. Um, in 2008, 2008, yes. Right. So it was very, very hard to find a job. Mm. It was a season of firing, not hiring. Yes. Um, so at that time, um, after dental school, about half a year, I couldn't get a job. And then I prayed and waited for opportunity. And I got a opportunity from... Um, some people in the government. So I presented my work um, during my dental school, the last year in dental school. And I went to a conference, and I met some people. And then um, they kind of noticed me that I have a heart for underserved. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got an interview. And then I got hired um, at the federal government and uh, Department of Public Health. And then I started my career there. So it's Quite different from other dentists because they usually do clinical work. And later in their life, they may do some other things. But I started right there, right after dental school, the world of policy. So that was pretty amazing. Eye-opening, very steep learning curve. But again, I found myself, I really enjoyed it. I never tried before, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was in the context and situation, uh, which I didn't plan for. But I loved it, so I pursued uh, my additional degree in public health. I did a master in public health and doctor in public health, and I become a dentist um,
0: in a public health context. Wow, that's incredible. So, like, I mean... <laughs> Um, I mean, some things that come to mind that I'm really curious about Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, you said that you studied art for some time before Uh going into dental school, which, um, and, you know, you mentioned that it was kind of, you didn't love it in the beginning, but so do you, so you said the, the big thing for you was the patient interaction Uh that you found that was valuable to you Um, but even then like is were the like do the sciences come naturally to you or do you feel like as somebody that loves art you had to work a little bit harder Harder. harder
1: yeah my major by the way my major was psychology behavior psychology when I was in college um because I knew that I, I will go to some medical or dental school, mm. but I knew that I'm more like that kind of person, like sure. literature, arts. Um, so I really try to work on it in the college level while I'm doing my pre-med stuff. Um, and I love the psychology. And when I get into dental school, and I didn't find myself quite interesting, the first year and second year, before I start to see patients, I tried twice to quit dental school. Because I didn't really see a fit for me. Mm. Um, and I didn't really enjoy the material, but I did it. I did mm. it diligently. Mm. Um, but I, I could not see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Oh. But it wasn't just a part of becoming a doctor. You know, the science, the chemistry, you know, the biology, anatomy, all those, which I need to know well to become a doctor. But once I start to see patients, it was pure art, how to um, educate them, how to encourage them, how to inform them to choose the best treatment plan based on their limitation, you know, finance and everything. So it was a lot of psychology there, a lot of counseling there. And that's why I became pediatric dentist because I love to talk to mothers and fathers. Wow. Um, while I'm doing my clinical work for the kids, I can talk to parents and educate them so that they will not have cavity and come back to me again.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's so cool. And I think I appreciate it more because I'm a parent and we've been to the dentist and it is horrible. (laughs) I know, know. it's not a pleasant experience. (laughs) But but I I understand what you're saying too about, um, it really is like trusting my dentist for my children, right? Right, Um, right for and the best uh course of care for their teeth and stuff and i want to be able to trust mm-hmm. you as a dentist and i that makes complete sense sure. um yeah. can we go back to, and talk about uh you mentioned that you did some policy work mm-hmm. uh for our the united states mm-hmm. um like what does that mean <laughs> Right. let's say mm, let me give you an example um
1: so in a community health clinic, mm-hmm. um, compared with a private clinic, so they accept Medicaid, those public insurance, but they have a scaling fee schedule, which means based on their income, um, the clinical service, which is the same, same filling, same extraction, um, the fee can be different by income. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a safety net for the people who cannot afford the regular dental cl- uh, care at private um, clinics, right? And then there is a lot of languages and legal um, stuff there, like which services is covered mm. and which service is not, mm. for example. So for children up to 18-year-olds by Medicaid, everybody is covered. If they, the children is in, enrolled in Medicaid, they, all the dental services will be covered, and sometimes even braces, right? Mm. But for pregnant women who are enrolled in Medicaid, it really depends on state. For example, like Tennessee, Delaware, they only covers some like emergency care or sometimes nothing, and it fluctuates. But states like New York, where I am in, it covers a lot of services, of the root canals and and, mm-hmm. and other services. So having this policy, having this language in place, those people who cannot afford regular dental care actually they can get uh, can get a benefit through the public insurance. If there is a policy and for now, for pregnant women, it's really different state by state. And my research is focusing on generating a lot of stories and outcomes that um, having this kind of policy for pregnant women who are enrolled in Medicaid is important to secure their oral health and their baby's oral health.
0: (gasps) Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) Isn't Um it? my gosh then yeah that's insane and i and i again i can just relate to this because i've been through you know i can't imagine like i mean i have my private insurance and i'm not under medicaid but um that's i mean i I didn't realize it would differ from state to state that's crazy Mm -hmm. okay so you would work on these policies with your colleagues and then try Mm -hmm. to push these policies through
1: well, I was a more like a beginning level okay. entry okay. level officer for uh-huh. uh four years. Okay. And then because there is not many dentists in the policy or public health world. Interesting. Yeah, because like ninety-five percent they are going to private clinic I and very few of us going into public health career path. Okay. Um, so I could myself promote it pretty fast.
0: Oh. And
1: then I questioned and doubted myself. You know what? I never have been really working in the real field. And I kind of you know, put it into this public health world right after dental school. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing, like creating these um, strategies and policies and regulations, I may not know what's really happening in the real world. Mm. So I talked to my husband um, and I talked to other people. I know that I get promoted pretty fast in this world, but maybe I need to learn about the real world. So I separated from service after four years. Mm-hmm. And then I started my residency, pediatric dental residency, which was purely clinical. Mm-hmm. And I chose Mount Sinai Hospital because I know that I was put into Harlem, which is one of the most underserved area in Manhattan. And that's where I see the real problem in wow. real setting. Wow. So I could relate what I did in policy world to the real clinical world. So it's not just talking over the tables, but I can put faces over the numbers yes. and the, the policy languages. So I, I think now I have in the position that I know about how the policy work. And I know how these underserved mothers and and the children have the barriers in accessing care. And then after my residency, I did a couple of years of fellowship in research Mm -hmm. where I can use my research skills to really move my agenda forward, which is to cover um, everyone, including the have and not haves,
0: to have adequate and timely dental care. (gasps) You're you're a superhero. I am <laughs> oh not. Oh gosh! I, I just started. <laughs> but even then, I mean, like mm-hmm. that is incredible. I'm very inspired right now to like, mm-hmm. you know, like be able to. I think it's just special for you to say that. You know, this is what I want to see happen, and you made moves to 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 be in that world and, mm-hmm. in order to change the system. And it just speaks volumes nice. to me. So thank you so much. Thank like, you. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm yeah, trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did find it interesting that you said that your research is in pre- for pregnant women and mm. pediatrics. Is that what you uh, said? Yes, uh, why, yes. why is that? Is there something I don't know? Is like, why specifically pregnant women? Yeah, so... Um, As you know,
1: uh, as a mother, Uh uh, mother uh, decides many things for the young kid. Mm -hmm. What they eat, how they brush, what kind of snack, how often uh, they are given snack, all those things. So um, when I work in um, Harlem, uh, the clinics in Harlem, I see very healthy three-year-old, four-year-old with lots of cavities, a lot. Mm. And sometimes these kids are too young to receive treatments on dental chair. So unfortunately, the last resort is to give them a general anesthesia in the hospital setting. And we treat all the cavities under general anesthesia, which as a mother, I really want to avoid, but sometimes it's just their last resort. And then after I finished my surgery, um, for example, there was a five-year-old perfectly healthy during my residency and there was a very loving mother uh, from Holland. And then I asked to mom, like, why? what do you think your son has so many cavities? And baby teeth, there are 20 baby teeth. And Because he had uh, so many dental cavities and abscess in the mouth, we had to wiggle out 18 out of 20 teeth. Five-year-old having only two back teeth left, I was wondering, you know, how would he speak? or eat properly for the next few years. And as a mother, I was devastated. And I didn't know how to explain this to the mother. It was definitely disease free, mm-hmm. but I was not sure if I can say it. it's a healthy status, right? Okay, yes. And I feel guilty too. I and mean, some somewhere from you know age zero to five, someone had to tell this mother how to take care of um, her son to have a healthy kid, healthy mouth and healthy um, teeth. Mm. But she didn't know, she was a loving mother. She was not like sure. neglective, yeah. but um, because the son has some digestive problems. So he, she was giving his son a lot of ginger ale. So oh. that was the main culprit that he had so many cavities and she did not know that the ginger ale, the, the carbonated like soda with lots of sugar can create that much cavity and he need to lose that many teeth. Wow. So all those incidents um, came up to my mind. And you mentioned about the system, the current dental care system, the dentist can can be paid if they do the treatments, right? But I don't get paid when my patients become healthy or cavity-free. Right. So it's a systems problem that (gasps) providers should be incentivized when the patients became healthy, not only they do the drill and feel.
0: Yes, I so, didn't even think about that. You're right. Right, right. So that's my,
1: I think, career agenda that mm. I really want to see healthy kids, not just so many cavities. Oh, this is a perfect feeling that I did today. Sure. Well, there is a rewarding feeling there. But ultimately, uh, what I want to see is a healthy um, smile and healthy mouth.
0: Not just what the lots of feelings. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I see. Man, that... Oh, I can't even imagine that situation as a mom. Exactly. And, you know, you said it well that, you know, I as a mom too, you're looking at this five-year-old. Like, what right. would happen? And, right. uh, man, that is... Insane. So um, I have a random question for you sure, before we continue our conversation. Um, is it true that pregnant women are more prone to cavities during their pregnancy? Um, depends.
1: Depends. So pregnancy is really different by different women. Uh-huh. Some women are craving for sweets. Then there will be definitely higher chance to get caries. Some has more morning sickness, like acidic environment uh-huh. in the mouth.
0: Then yes, higher oh. chance to get caries. I see. Okay, that makes sense. I had terrible morning sickness, like really mm. bad. I threw up for like six months. Oh, uh, it was horrible. But um, I have never had cavities until after That's
1: That's after good.
0: I gave birth, and then mm. I went and they told me I had four. And I was so shocked. <laughs> but then someone told me it was like something about the calcium. I don't know, but I didn't know what that was. But
1: Yeah. And most importantly, what I what I think it's really amazing and also really scary thing is there are lots of research confirming that if the pregnant woman or mothers have active untreated dental caries, mm-hmm. there is three times higher chance that the child will get cavity in an earlier age. Really? It's very important during pregnancy to take care of dental caries to prevent dental caries for the young
0: child. (gasps) Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so shocked right now. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. So in
1: 2012, when I was in Department of Health, uh-huh. um, the U.S. government published the U.S. Gu- national Guideline for Oral Health During Pregnancy. So before 2012, um, the provider was told that, yes, you can do the billings and other dental treatments during the second trimester only, right? Right. But this... Um, publication clearly said it worked from CDC, NIH, FDA, everybody gathered together over a year, and I was there too. And then um, it was clear scientifically, we can do any treatments during any trimester in Mm -hmm. a safety measure, with a safety measure. So this guideline clearly say, what is a safe dental care for pregnant women? What needs to be avoided? What kind of medication to be avoided? Local anesthesia, all those. But most of the dental care can be delivered in a safe way. And actually, the benefit of having no cavity mouth, it outweighs the risk of other things.
0: (gasps) That's insane. I never, (laughs) that is, wow. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just very, um, this is all very fascinating. I'm really shocked, actually. (laughs) Not many people know. So on the side, I'm educating
1: pregnant women, including uh, pregnant teens oh, in my wow. hospital. Oh yes! Why is it important to have a healthy mouth before mm. they deliver baby? Because they will definitely kiss the baby, definitely share utensils and all those, and then they are sharing their germs as well. So I make sure that those uh, pregnant women and pregnant teens have a healthy teeth and healthy mouth before they deliver baby.
0: Wow! Wow! Um, you know. A lot of our Korean households, I feel like, don't go to the dentist growing up. At least I did not. I didn't go to the dentist a lot growing up. I had to ask my parents, can I please go to the dentist? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> um, but um, do you find that to be true? Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean... Dentistry
1: somehow has been separated from the medicine. Yes. Historically. Yeah, from yes. the training level, you know, dental school separate from medical school. Dental insurance, usually not included in the health insurance. Mm. But even when I work in, uh, when I went to my dental school in Boston, your know, Boston area, they are super smart. There was a PhD from MIT, Harvard. Those were my patients, but they were not, aware of how important oral health is. Right. And um, they were not changing toothbrush regularly. They were not brushing their teeth regularly. So it's not just the literacy level, but their awareness level about the importance of oral health. And oral health has been like a second child for a long time. So we are really trying to um, emphasize that oral health is health. And it should be considered as a primary help. Mm. I'm not talking about implants and all the fancy aesthetics, but those, you know, prevention and all those, um, you know, feelings and basic dental care should be considered as a primary care, not a specialty care.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that that's how I think of it, honestly. It's like, mm. a- De- like going to the dentist is secondary to my mm-hmm. physical health, but um, I'm learning more and more that that's not true. So, <laughs>
1: nice.
0: Nice. um, you mentioned also um, that you are, are a professor, like you teach. Yes. Um. So what is that like? Like, um, as a profession for you, what does that? How do How do you prepare f- for? those, um, teaching times and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Like what is it like to, how many, like how many do you teach residents? I'm sorry. I forgot what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I'm in the department of dentistry and I'm a pediatric dentist. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I have my pediatric dental residents who are only dentists.
0: Okay, okay. Who
1: wants to learn more about how to take care of children. I needs. see. Yeah. So I teach them the clinical stuff how to drill, how to make silver crowns and all those. But at the same time, I teach them how to create a research design because um, even though like private doctors, um, private dentists, they still need to question about the clinical guideline because it's evolving all the time. Mm. So what is true 10 years ago, we have a better materials now, better techniques now. They still need to continuously learn about those. Mm. So thinking about those and having a question, that's the beginning of research. So research is not just like daunting topic that oh, I'm, not, I'm a clinician, I'm not going to do research. but it's, it's about asking questions am I doing am I delivering the best care to my patients? Sure. That's the start of the research question and that's what I teach to my residents. And wow. I do lectures, and I help them with designing their own research, help them to prepare presentation for conferences and publication.
0: Do you really enjoy that part of your job, like teaching and investing into other dentists? Yeah, I do. I don't know if they enjoy it. No, I'm
1: sure they do. I do, I do. I do enjoy teaching because we are learning together. Mm. Um, There may be something that I don't know. Then I say, yeah, let's find it out together. And we learn from each other. And I always try to find their own personal interest, not just, you know, every step and everything. For example, one of my residents, um, he has a nephew with um, autism. Mm-hmm. So he really wanted to do research about children with um, autism or a developmental delay problem, wow. how to deliver better dental care or environment for the children with ASD, autism and developmental delay. So I said, yeah, if, the, if that's your interest and passion, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. research about it. Um, so now he's developing a module for pediatricians, how to assess oral health for children with autism and refer to us so we can prepare ourselves to deliver the best care for those kids
0: right yeah i mean that is i'm sure a very terrifying thing for a child in general Mm -hmm. and then having to treat someone that has autism or is on the spectrum Mm -hmm. i cannot Mm -hmm. even imagine drills and everything like and just brushing the teeth is difficult in itself that's that's incredible that's so cool, mm-hmm. man. So these are the kind of things that you get to be a part of too as a teacher as well. Right. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I wanted to uh, ask you about your husband and your um, nonprofit organization as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about it at all. This is just um, information that I know from our mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you expand on that a little bit? Tell me a little bit more about the nonprofit Sure. So my husband started this nonprofit organization based in New York.
1: Um, short bio of my husband, he's a very unique person, as <laughs> you said. Um, so he's all about like social movement, change the world, that kind of thing. Um, and then he travels a lot. He traveled around the world a couple of times. And then what he found was he met a lot of young Korean, American, Korean, European artists and designer, architect. And they really want to contribute to the third world, um, how to giving out their talents. But, you know, for doctors and teachers, it's a little bit easier. There are many ways to help those kids. But for artists, um, because there is, they don't even meet the basic necessity there. It's hard to like bring art stuff and an art program there. So he saw the needs of the volunteer. They really wants to do something. And then he truly believed that art is the universal language of hope and expression. So he married those two needs. And then he bring a bunch of artists and designers to um, African countries. We started with Benin and then now Kenya. And then we started art programs in these very, very remote villages, like no electricity, no water. And then it was first time for them to see the brush and see the paint. And they started to paint out. And that was really fun and meaningful for us. And then I joined the, the organization before we got married. And then we got married. And I kind of took over the operation part of the organization. And now we are doing quite a lot of programs. We started with the art. But now we are doing a um, fashion design program and technology program, health education, um, and dancing and music program, too. So looking back, it was very interesting because I had to give up my art. Right. All the family situation and things. But now I'm working with like 200 artists delivering this art program. We're not making all these children become an artist, Mm -hmm. but we use art and design as a tool to communicate their feelings, their emotions and idea in a visual way so I think God heard me (laughs) in some sense and then I become a doctor but I still work in art world as well
0: no yeah that's insane because you know I I the organization is called is it called mtree mtree right yeah so I knew that mtree had a background in art Mm -hmm. and the creative arts Mm -hmm. and so when you said that you gave up a lot of your dreams to be an artist. Right. I was like thinking already like, that's crazy because Not now ready. you're married <laughs> and you're doing this nonprofit organization that does that. Right. Um, right. Wow, it's so incredible that you get to kind of do it all.
1: You do it all, right? And now that I just started from last week, last year, um, I did art integrated um, reproductive health education for mothers and teen girls. Okay, so you have to tell teen, me what
0: that is. Yeah, teen
1: pregnancy is really a big problem there sure. in Kenya. Mm-hmm. So usually 14, 15, after their primary school, um, they got pregnant and then that's it. They cannot go back to school. Um, and they cannot have their own career so we give them an option and you have an option if you really want to get married and have a child that's fine it's a cultural norm there but at the same time the parents there is a strong desire that girls to finish a secondary school and even college and have their own uh, financial independence Mm. so if you want you can control yourself your body and then you can delay your marriage and having child later, maybe early mm-hmm. 20s, after you finish schools. Mm-hmm. And then we teach them basic um, sex education, reproductive health education through art.
0: Wow. So we use
1: art as a tool, like express your feeling when you have first period. Express your feeling when you had a period and you didn't have a sanitary pad and you couldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. What kind of um, intervention... And solution can we have so that you can continue your studies? Mm. And then we do a lot of a scenario-based learning. You know, what if this happened? What if someone ask you, oh, what if someone touched your body? What would you say? Mm. And then we do that in a safe environment through the language of art because there's no judgment in art. Mm. Um, so that these girls can express their fears, worries, and concerns and ultimately empower that, yes, I can say no if I want to say no. And if I want to continue my study, I can. So that's what we are doing now.
0: I'm speechless. That is amazing. <laughs> how does, how, okay, how do you come up with these types of programs? Like, what is the process? Like, you see a problem and mm-hmm. then you find the solution is that how it ha- happens
1: um i think my, both my husband and i and all our directors and volunteers have a strong desire that everybody everybody has to have an opportunity hmm. so i think we are giving an opportunity through the tools of art and design hmm. so they can have an informed decision whatever decision in life right. career hmm. Or you know getting married, or um, you know selecting majors, or um, uh, steps in life. Mm. But most of the time, in these remote remote villages and rural villages, there is only one question and one answer, and it's mm. very much about survival mode, right? Mm. Um, but we really want to expand their view and perspective. That yes, there are things in life. There are things in around the world and we can support in some way. We have teachers, we have curriculums and we want you to learn. So once you learn and you have the knowledge and power, you can decide, you can choose your life career and your philosophy and your value in your life. Mm. And then I think we are much rewarded by that kind of programs. So we are not generating like top you know, A plus students or top artists or fashion designer, but we just want to help them to question about things in life, and then have a power to answer.
0: Yes, and mm-hmm. create opportunity to do mm-hmm. so, and in a safe environment, environment, a safe space, right. no judgment. <laughs> that is incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> oh man, so um. You know, you said you, you work with uh, 200 artists, you said? Yeah, so you, well, pre-pandemic, let's say uh-huh, pre-pandemic, uh-huh. Uh, we
1: usually go every summer. It was more like a summer program. I see. Like 50, 60 artists, designer, architect, mm. uh, they join us and spend about three weeks in these rural villages, so we ran these kind of programs, that depending on uh, their expertise and professions. I see. But actually, pandemic was a great turning point and opportunity for us because we couldn't travel anymore. So what we did, um, we maximized our local staff who had degrees in, in, in teaching and all those. And that actually they make the, our program, the summer program, as a year around the program. So now we are an official after-school program in these um, primary school in remote villages. And now taking a boat. We have to take a boat to go to the village uh, twice a week. And they are teaching all these that we've been doing because they've been working with us like five years. Mm. And now they are leading our program, the, those local Kenyan artists and teachers, Leading our program year around.
0: How so that, wonderful it
1: was! It was so that was a big challenge pandemic, but actually it turned into a great opportunity for us.
0: Right. So it's not something that it's like a constant um, resource that's available to them. Yes, uh, and yeah. it's not an it's not just a once a year kind of thing. Right. Right. right.
1: right. Wow. And we couldn't, we couldn't figure out, I mean, we wanted to do year-round, but we are based in New York and sure. European countries. Yeah. So we didn't know how to do it. But once the pandemic hit, the government opened the door pretty wide. Mm. Everybody had to take a year yeah. over in Kenya. Mm. And these kids in remote villages, they have zero access to internet. So they were very open to any other external program, non-NGO programs. So actually the local government invited us as an official after school program for these children.
0: Wow, that's amazing. It is. And God works. That's all I can say. It's all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible, man. Um uh, sorry, I'm just I'm just in awe because I really <laughs> had no idea. I had no idea really about anything, about any of the M tree organization either um and I kind of wanted to save that for you to kind of share with me as well mm-hmm. um and I'm just uh and so amazed to just uh that the creative arts aspect is very eye-opening for me because mm-hmm. I personally have a heart for that as well mm-hmm. um, I think um if I'm honest especially coming from an Asian American household um where i mean i think my parents really did encourage me in the creative arts but i know that there are a lot of uh, young people that it's not as encouraged um if i'm honest right and so to be able to hear that um the creative arts and art is being used in this capacity Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um not just like not just like oh draw something or like be good at painting, but really Mm -hmm. being used as a tool to help uh, people in a country that are not educated in the same ways that we are, resourced in the same ways Mm -hmm. that we are, um, is really, um, truly amazing and eye-opening and so Mm. insightful. So I hope if you're listening, you know, there are so many ways to use (laughs) your talents You know, like that's what this podcast is about is like, you know, using what you love and know um, and making something out of it. And yes. And you mentioned that um,
1: much of the audience is like um, college students and post-college young adults. Yes. Um, I really want to share something that I'm I'm 41 years old, so I'm not there. I'm far from college now. But looking back, you know what, it was just confused. I was just confused when I was 20, when I was in college, even graduate school, and always questioned about like, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. Am I in the right path? You know, what classes to take, what major to take, which school to go, which career, or which job? But you know what, there is not a single thing that I have planned actually happened. It was all something out of ordinary happened. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is for that age group, early 20, mid-20, I really want to encourage um, to try anything. And you have to learn about yourself first. I never knew that I liked dentistry if I didn't try dental school or start to see patients. Mm -hmm. I never knew that I liked policy um, if I was not thrown into the policy world because of the financial crisis at that time. But I learned about myself. I mean, I always thought I'm an art person. I like art, that's all about me, but it was not true. I have other part of me, which I haven't known at that time, but with ups and downs of the life really opens a door for me um, to try some things that I never planned or thought before. And then I learn about myself. I'm still learning about myself. Oh, yeah, I like this one. Oh, yeah, I don't like this one. <laughs> so I can plan the next step only because I know about myself at that moment. So what I encourage for all the listeners or our viewers, I really try to anything um, without fear. Um, Mm. It's the time for try and error, twenty and 30s (laughs) and even 40s, I should say. Um, And then you are learning about yourself and you're kind of shaping your career one step, step by step. Mm. Um, And then when you know enough about you, it's really easy to choose one or the other Mm. because now you have your values inside you. Mm. So it's not about right and wrong. It's not about your parents' value or the majority's value, but your own interest and passion and value. Then when some opportunity comes, you may choose one career over the other, even though this job pays less because you know you will be happy and you can make impact in community and possibly in the world. Mm. And then you will be happy. And then you are going to the next step. There is no such job that you will stay 50 years. Um, so you are going to change your job constantly. And then you are going to make a decision, the better decision at that moment.
0: Yes. I think everything you just said, it was for me. It's my, the advice for me. Because I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm so very much like, oh, if I make a decision, that's it, you know? But it's not what you're just what you're saying is you have to try and you have to be open because you never know you never know and nothing is absolute right like Mm -hmm. um and I love that thank you so much for sharing that piece of advice I I needed to hear it and I'm sure there Mm -hmm. are other people that need to hear it too um Helen was there anything else that you wanted to share um before I let you go um the last thing I want to share
1: looking back my early teens and early 20s I had a lot of financial crisis Mm. um through my family situation um and for for example my college I was in college for eight years on Mm. and off so I had to work for one year and go back to college the other year so it was not easy it was not easy um but it It doesn't deform you. I want to say that. It's your choice. Um, You don't lose yourself, all those external um, challenges and um, downs, ups and downs and downs. Um, It's not easy. I have to support my parents. I'm still supporting my parents since early 20s. But it gave me a lot of strength. And how do I understand my patients better because of my past experience? I think if I leave again, should I choose that path? I don't think so. It was too hard. (laughs) But but looking back, I think I'm more well-rounded person because of that down. And then I didn't, I decided not to lose myself or dreams. Um, And then I always surrounded by good community and good friends who always remind me of who I am and what my dream is about mm. so if any listeners or viewers are in a difficult situation feel like there is a wall like right in front of your eyes mm. um, look for friends look for community it's okay to take a rest take a ear off um, it's never late um, if you graduate one year later, two years later, if you find your first job, late 20s, even 30s, that is okay. Mm-hmm. That is okay. Um, and then you will learn about yourself. Don't lose yourself
0: and values and you will move on. You will move on and you will do well. Yes, I um, am learning more and more through, I mean, your journey and other people's journey that really, um man everything happens for a reason and yeah um, but it's hard to see sometimes like when you're in. definitely definitely yeah um but yes thank you so much i appreciate everything you said today um i thank you so much for your time i know you're a busy woman you're a mom too Mm -hmm. and um i'm just like any other mom Um, man, I was really educated today. So I really appreciate all, um, you. everything you said. Um, would you be okay? I, again, I know that you're busy. But um, if there's somebody that maybe has questions about uh, pediatric dentistry or <laughs> policy or um, even yeah. um, M-Tree, um, mm-hmm. would you be open to kind of speaking with them? sure sure anytime and i will also leave my email to you awesome so
1: if anyone reach out to you and want to know more about career
0: path or any mentoring and i'm happy to share my experience awesome thank you so much again thanks so much for listening guys you can email me at podcast at gmail.com or you can dm me on social media and i'd be happy to connect you um, until next time bye Bye. Thank you so much. Thank you.